especially when we're talking die die twins now mm-hmm. generally speaking um the it, the pregnancy is going to go without any hitch mm-hmm. the problem mm-hmm. of course is that doctors are not trained in the skills necessary ne- to possibly deliver those twins vaginally mm-hmm. anymore and so even twins that are both head down are often being led down the path towards cesarean section. Hi, I'm Rachel, owner of the Natural Birth Site, certified birth doula, childbirth educator, and midwife's assistant. And I'm Tiffany Muniz, certified birth doula, lactation counselor, and midwife assistant. Here, you'll learn all about different aspects of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Remember, none of this information should take the place of your care provider and is not medical advice. Birth is not a medical emergency. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners, welcome to the Natural Birth Talk. Today, we are here with Dr. Stuart Fishbein, which Tiffany and I are both so excited about. And today, we're going to talk about twins. But before we jump into twins specifically, we're going to let Dr. Stu introduce himself. That's my cue. That's your cue. (laughs) Okay. Well, Rachel, (laughs) Tiffany, thank thank you for having me on. Uh, I I always like to um, speak to an audience that I may not have encountered before because I think um, the message that you guys are sharing and that I'm involved with as well is so important. Um, mm-hmm. Who am I? Uh, well, I'm a obstetrician. Uh, I went to, I'll give you my my backstory as fast as I can. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. Some people okay. probably know me a little bit. Sure. Uh, I'm an obstetrician, but I'm a unique obstetrician because right now I do well, actually, I've I've stopped for taking I'm taking a break from doing birthing. I I was doing birthing for forty years. I started in uh, going to the University of Minnesota, which was my mm-hmm. home state. Uh, I went to medical school there. I matched my residency in Southern California at Cedar Sinai Medical Center in obstetrics and gynecology. The story of how I chose okay. that is purely random. It's not <laughs> didn't have a I didn't have an epiphany or a passion when I was growing up. Of, catching babies or, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. It was just something that I sort of fell into right. as a third year medical student. You have, you do rotations and then you have to make a choice when you're really not prepared to make a choice of what you're going to do for the rest of your life, <laughs> because you have to pick a specialty yeah. that you apply for, for residency programs. So it, th- those days you're, you're, you're young, naive, enthusiastic, but you don't, don't really think about liability or hours on call or lifestyle or anything like that. When you're young, you just think mm-hmm. about what, what do I enjoy most? And, and obstetrics was just the epiphany for me. I guess that's not the word. Um, it was just the, the, the peak thing that I enjoyed the most as a, as a med- uh, medical student, okay. because it had longitudinal care, you could take care of people for a long time and then you got surgery yeah. and you got endocrinology and you got internal medicine and family practice and psychology and, and of course, you got to catch babies. So um, it just had everything. And it seemed great. So I ended up going to Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. And I was very fortunate there because at the, in those days, in the early 80s, we had an affiliation with LA County University of Southern California Women's Hospital, mm-hmm. which was the busiest hospital in the country in the early 80s, doing about 22,000 births a year, Wow, which is about 65 babies wow. a day. 65 babies a day. Yeah. And so you're there for three or four months. Oh as a second and third year resident. So you're getting all kinds of training. And that's why I was lucky because I trained in an era where breach and twin and forceps and things like that. The skills that make my profession unique were taught as just normal core skills and that's weren't awesome. taught as emergencies yeah. or taught as something to be avoided. Uh, I came out of residency, however, thinking that I was, you know, the smartest 
I guess I'm mixing my metaphors, the brightest bulb in the, in the lamp or whatever else. And I think <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew uh, what I knew. And I was very confident that what I had learned in residency was the way to take care of women um, because I was brainwashed uh, mm-hmm. in residency program to think that the medicalized mm-hmm. medicalization of birth was something that was so necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those days, it was a different era. You didn't come out and get a job working for a large HMO. You came out and you hung your shingle and you uh, hustled to try to build a mm-hmm. practice. And so I covered emergency okay. rooms and I, I backed up other doctors, uh, took their call and assisted them in surgery. And I uh, worked at some free clinics and I built my practice that way. And one of the things that happened to me, which was fortuitous also, was that I was approached by some midwives in, in the local area and asked to be uh, somebody who would take their transports from home. Okay. And I said, sure. And I didn't say sure because I thought midwifery was a good idea. I didn't say sure because I thought home birth was a good idea. I'm sure that in those days, I probably thought it was probably stupid. Um, <laughs> I did it because I wanted to make money. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, but it was one of those fortuitous things in life mm-hmm. because when women would be transferred from the home in a non-emergent fashion, we'd have lots of time sitting around in the lounge with the midwife to hang out and just talk. And I began to learn of, about a, a different way of thinking about pregnancy mm-hmm. and slowly, okay. but surely I evolved to the point where I thought that midwifery model of care made a lot more sense for 85, 90% of women than the model that I was practicing. You know, I was that guy in the hazmat suit who had you up in lithotomy position, prepping your vulva with betadine and putting on sterile uh, mm-hmm. sleeves over your legs and, you know, catching your baby and then immediately clamping the cord and showing you this beautiful thing that you just created and then walking across the room and setting it down in the warmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's what we yeah. did. That's yeah. what I thought was normal. And then yeah. I fe- right. Fortunately, I was open enough to realize that that isn't normal and that isn't healthy and that isn't right for most pregnancies. And so I started a collaborative practice with some midwives and we worked in a hospital setting for 15 years. And uh, after 15 years, they had never accepted us in the community. They'd always made life harder for us, Um, but we had really good results. Uh, But after 15 years, they found a way to get rid of us. And it's a story, I won't go into that, but they, they, uh, so the choice was to fight them legally or to leave the hospital setting. And I chose at that point, um, wisely because I had some great advisors, midwives and clients who encouraged me to start doing home birthing. And believe it or not, after 25 years of working in the hospital, I'd still never been to a home birth. Um, wow. so I, my first few clients that I had that wanted to do home birth with me, um, their deliveries went beautifully, which was again, a fortuitous event, because had they not, I don't know that all these things right. would have happened. Um, and the rest is sort of history. I, I began to get braver. And I began to realize that, you know, breaches and twins and diabetics and hypertensives, don't, they don't have to go to the hospital and they don't have to be induced or have to have a C-section. And, and uh, I published a few papers on that. I wrote a book back in 2010 called Fearless Pregnancy. And now, because I've slowed down after 40 years of being on call, I, I um, am doing mostly teaching. I travel around the country and sometimes overseas to teach breach and twin skills. Love it. And I um, have a consulting service through my website. And I have a podcast that I work uh, uh, with my colleague, Bliss Young. Uh, it's called the Birthing Instincts Podcast. And I advocate for uh, choices and for informed consent and for normalizing um, things that used to be normal, like breach 
and twin vaginal birthing. So, right. Uh, yeah. Because what we're doing in the medical model Love is it. not working. Right. Uh, we've got great, yeah. we've got lousy outcomes nation uh, worldwide and compared to the rest of the world. And we um, probably are getting worse and we're getting more medicalized. And most women who have a baby love their baby, but they don't love the experience that they had having their baby, both in the prenatal mm-hmm. period and also in the labor and delivery period. They, they end up with one in three women having cesarean sections, which is absurd. Crazy. 50 years ago, it was one in 20. And now it's one in three. And we and the and we have yeah. no improvement in outcomes mm-hmm. for mothers or babies. Actually, worse for mothers, mm-hmm. probably worse for babies too, mm-hmm. for many reasons. And maybe we'll get to those later today. So yeah. that's where I, where I am right now. I've, I'm in the last third of my life, and I'm going to try to continue to advocate for those things. And every now and then, when it suits me or it works out, I would love to attend a birth. Um, I do miss it slightly. I don't miss being on call, but I miss being at the birth itself. Yeah. Makes sense. Awesome. I love how you were open-minded enough to step into that midwifery model, because as I'm sure most of our listeners know, and, and obviously we all know that most of the time OBs don't take that knowledge from the midwives and like run with it. They just kind of look at them as crazy and look at it as just, that's not what we do. And that's not safe, but you were able to keep that open mind and take a step back and learn from the midwives you were working with. And, you know, it just all, like you said, it was fortuitous. It just all kind of lined up in such an amazing way that now you had this big home birth practice and your podcast is huge and people love it and people learn from it. And I don't know, I just, I just think that's always so amazing when those events just line up so perfectly. And then when people like you are able to keep that open mind, no matter what medical school drilled into your head. Yeah. You know, that's a very interesting point because I'm very, I'm very, uh, you know, sort of dogmatic in some of the things that I say and do. And I'm very confident uh, in what I know and what I don't know. And yet mm-hmm. I'm also very, I'm a very logical being and, mm-hmm. I, and I can look mm-hmm. at something and I can say that that makes a lot of sense to me, or that's really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can see yeah. it right away. And what, when, when I was talking to the midwives and I, and I learned about mammalian birth and I learned about these things that n- never got touched on in medical school or residency, mm-hmm. um, no nutrition counseling, no bre- breastfeeding, yeah. teaching, nothing like that, but, but truly about how mammals give birth. And when you just think the simplicity of mm-hmm. what you would do if your dog was in labor mm-hmm. and how different you respond to them than you would if your, if your wife was in labor, mm-hmm. you know, in the medical model. Um, and why do we do that? And we do that because we're indoctrinated to believe that. And, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing does not sit well with me. I'm, you know, I, one of the things I always say was I, I respect authority, but I don't respect stupid authority. Yeah. And well, you know, smart people understand that. Yeah. Yeah. They understand they, they can differentiate between when someone tells you something that's really stupid mm-hmm. uh, versus something that makes sense. And everybody has to decide for themselves. And yeah, I, I, I thank my parents for giving me the, the, the background to have the open mind to be yeah. able to look at a situation, analyze and say, you know, maybe I should have gone left when I went right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. okay to admit that you made a mistake. A confident right. person knows they don't know everything. Mm-hmm. It's the insecure yep. person that is, you know, very dogmatic and obtuse and, and insists that, that their way is the only way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're so, you're so right on. about that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We see it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Every day. 
every day. So every, every day, and not just in our profession. I mean, just true. every day no. in the news, every yeah. day in yeah. your own personal life, you see people clinging to things that just don't make sense, and there's no way that you're going to change them. I mean, we could we could go off on a tangent about cognitive dissonance and mass formation, yeah. all that stuff, but that's probably not what your listeners want to hear. Probably, probably not. Although Tiffany and I could totally dive into that conversation. Right. Um, so let's, let's talk about twins because that's, I know you have so many skills. Breach and twins, I think are what people specifically think of when they think of you. Um, I have a good amount of stuff on the podcast about breach, but I don't have a whole lot about twins. So I'd really, really love to be able to talk about that today. Just kind of your perspective or your thoughts or your experience, whatever you want to say. Hey everyone, Rachel Manns here. And today I have something I'm thrilled to share with you guys. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, that's a quarter, guys, you'll gain access to a vast subscription library filled with documentary films, web series, mind and body fitness programs, workshops, and courses covering fertility to parenting and everything in between. Designed for new and expectant parents, as well as pregnancy and birth professionals, Informed Pregnancy Plus is like having a trusted BFF and doctor in one, guiding you through every step of the path to and through parenthood. A few of just my favorite titles are obviously The Business of Being Born, Empowered Mama, Belly Dance for Birth, How Fun Is That?, Ease into Sleep, The Afterbirth Plan, and The Core Connection, an extremely well-presented and informative workshop teaching you about your core and pelvic floor and how to keep them healthy. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can gain full access absolutely free. Just visit informedpregnancy.tv to sign up. Sign up for Informed Pregnancy Plus right now. I'm not kidding, guys. It's really going to help you out. It's my prescription for your informed and empowered parenting journey, all from the comfort of your home. Visit informedpregnancy.tv. That's informedpregnancy.tv, and the link will be in the description below. Now back to the show. Okay. Well, um, twins is one of those things that, again, in the medical model, from the moment you discover you have twins, you're categorized as high risk. Mm Mm-hmm. And everything mm-hmm. about that is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, you may end up being high risk, but mm-hmm. to immediately label somebody makes them more anxious, more nervous, more likely to become high risk, more likely to develop problems, certainly to be bathing their baby in fear and anxiety for the entire nine months, as opposed to joy and love and mm-hmm. and, and confidence. So why is that? Well, that's how the medical model looks at all pregnancies. They don't look at right. twins really any differently than they do at singletons. They always look at it as a problem waiting to happen. They just think that twins is more likely to have a problem waiting to happen. And in, indirectly, that is true. Mm-hmm. But it's not that it's more likely to have happen. It's what's the actual risk of something bad happening? And what's the risk of all the interventions of the medical model causing those things to happen or things that wouldn't have happened otherwise to happen? You know, uh, all the surveillance and finding little things that don't really mean anything, but make you worry or telling you at 10 weeks that because you have this kind of twin that you're going to need to be induced at 36 weeks mm-hmm. and, or whatever. They're, they're you know, they, they plant all these seeds of worry and then they just 
just fester for the entire months. Um, mm -hmm. People should consider that twins have the potential for something to go wrong, but most mm -hmm. of the time it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Just like just like life in general, okay? Right. Like <laughs> driving to the grocery store, all right? Um, they're not great analogies, but but I, I think that people understand what I'm trying to say is that we need to reframe how people look at pregnancy and get it away from being a medical problem and being in, in the midwifery model where it's, where it's looked at as a normal function of the body mm -hmm. that occasionally goes awry and that midwives in their model are accepting of uncertainty. Yeah. My colleagues in the medical model hate uncertainty. And so, and they hate, what I like to say is they hate chaos. Yeah. And in their overzeal to correct for nature's chaos, mm -hmm. they create all kinds of chaos mm -hmm. and problems, but that's okay for them because it's their problems and the problems they create, they feel comfortable with, mm -hmm. but problems that come up that they don't feel comfortable with make, you know, that makes them right. very anxious. So they want to it's try a control to control issue. Everything. Right. Yeah. Yep. Right. And by the way, just as an aside, it happens that a control issue leads to more revenue generation. Mm, so that's, mm -hmm. true. that's something you have to think about. Is these sections and inductions cost a yeah. lot more than Lots natural money. Yeah. Well, it just just all the surveillance. Yeah. All the labs. Yep. All mm -hmm. the all the ultrasounds. All mm -hmm. that stuff that true. goes on. Um, that creates more revenue. Mm -hmm. So again, the incentives in my profession are all backwards. That's another conversation for another podcast. Yeah. About how <laughs> how the corporatization and the medicalization of of our our health. Is an industry that that whose people that run it, their ethics and their fiduciary duty are not the same as those of us that are actually working in it. Right. Their fiduciary duty is to make a profit for their company or their practice, mm -hmm. and ours is to the ethically be responsible to our individual client. Right. But the two the two don't mesh. They right. they they conflict. Anyway, back to twins. <laughs> so so twins are fairly common. Mm -hmm. uh, there used to be about one in 80 pregnancies. Now it's about one in 32. Uh, most of that has to do with IVF. Some of mm -hmm. it may have to do with an older um, maternal population, women waiting till later to get pregnant. There's a slightly greater risk of, of twinning at that point. Um, okay. And so, but one in 32. So it's the same, it's about 3%, which is the same as breech um, mm -hmm. twin delivery. It's far more common than having red hair. Um, <laughs> and we don't consider people with red hair to be abnormal, but we consider right. people with twins or breeches to be abnormal. And that's you know, a really good point. I have two redheads just for the record, but <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's a good comparison to think about. Well, just, to, I mean, again, numbers can be, be altered to, to, to funnel you down a path mm -hmm. that, that you, that whoever's giving the numbers wants to take. Yep. And there's a big thing we can, we'll probably get to relative risk versus actual risk shortly, but so one about one in thirty, <laughs> about one in thirty-two pregnancies are twins, uh -huh. and um, about maybe eighty percent of twins are what are called die-die, mm -hmm. um, which are two individual eggs that get, get fertilized. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to go off on the real, real remote little other things. We'll stick to the basis, but we also call them fraternal twins or non-identical twins. Mm -hmm. And those, those kind of twins are, have less risk to them than what are called monodye twins, where the twins are identical in the same chorion, but have separate uh, amnions. Those twins have about a 15 to 17% chance of having some placental anomaly that can lead to a very serious problem. Okay. Um, 
And then there's really the rare case of what's called mono-mono twins, where the twins are in the same sac. Mm -hmm. And that has a very high morbidity and mortality rate as well. But that's, again, we're talking a very small percentage. So most twins, when you're diagnosed, are going to be die-die. And all that means is that you have two babies growing in there instead of one. Mm -hmm. What's the increased risk of that? Well, there's a slight increased risk of, of preterm labor. There's a slight increased risk of one of the babies not growing well. There's a slight increased risk of things like preeclampsia. But if they don't happen, then there's, the only risk is that you have two babies instead of one. So mm-hmm. you have one delivery followed by another baby. That's it. Mm-hmm. You, have, you know, you have, you have, instead of having babies two years apart, you have babies, you know, 20 minutes apart. It's like, <laughs> right. but it, it's, it's, you're having a baby and then having another baby. But the medical model doesn't see it that way. The right. medical model is always looking for, for potential problems and, and in their zeal to find them, they often will find things that aren't really problems, but they'll mm-hmm. be something that they'll make into a problem. Yep. Mm-hmm. That happens uh, even with singletons. It happens right. All the time. Yeah. right. One of the problems with the detailed ultrasound machines that we have now and these, and the zeal to that 20 week ultrasound to do all kinds of things like mm-hmm. color flow Doppler and other things that find a little ditzel, uh, that doesn't really mean anything. And they tell you it doesn't mean anything, but then they tell you they want to see you back in four to six weeks to mm-hmm. see that it still doesn't mean anything. Right. And the analogy that I use all the time is the movie Inception. <laughs> and if you tell someone not to think about elephants, they're going to think about it, elephants. They're going to think about elephants. So what's the woman going to think about for six weeks? There's something wrong with her baby, even though there's yep. nothing wrong with her baby. Right. Same thing with twins. If they tell you at, 12 weeks when they find out you have twins that all these things can go wrong and that, that we really probably need to induce you. Maybe they won't go wrong, but they might go wrong. Mm -hmm. Now I understand the difference between giving informed consent and giving skewed informed consent. And you, you know, you might want to, but but it's how things are presented and doctors, again, Mm -hmm. because they live in a fear-based world, um, they present things in that way. They don't even know that they're doing it. I was that Mm -hmm. person. I just had a run in. It was actually with a midwife just a couple days ago who Tiffany, I haven't even told you the story yet. I will after. No, I was going to say this is news to me. (laughs) Um, I was in like 48 hours of birds in a 56 hour time period. But one of them, um, the, the midwife, like the, the mom had slightly elevated blood pressure, like slightly elevated. Okay. And had this minor, like come and go headache, but it was going away with Tylenol, but it was like an allergy thing. But because she had a tiny headache and slightly elevated blood pressure, the midwife was freaking out. Tiffany, I'm sure you know which midwife I'm talking about or have a guess. I have a few guesses. The the midwife was freaking out and was like throwing all of this fear language and talking about mom having a seizure if her blood pressure gets too high and how she shouldn't go home and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it was crazy. And it was so much fear. It was so much fear fear. And luckily this particular couple was able to get past the fear and they went home and they ended up having an amazing natural birth with zero issues at all. But this midwife wanted to put her on magnesium, like, because she was scared. Yeah. And that's what happens, you know, even more often with twins, but it can happen with any birth. It's crazy. Backed by the most up-to-date science and research, we bring you the best prenatal on the market. Full Well is an amazing prenatal vitamin formulated with the best of the best ingredients and bioavailable nutrient and mineral forms that help to fill in nutrition gaps for mom and baby. 
These prenatal vitamins are tested for consistent dosing and heavy metals and then verified by a third party for every single batch. That way, you know what you are buying is truly what you need. Not only does Full Well have an amazing prenatal, they also carry women and men's fish oil, a men's multivitamin, a fertility booster, and an amazing nourished nerves calming tincture, which is one of our favorites. We are both so happy to announce that we can offer you guys a 10% discount on your first order. So you just have to use the code TNBT10. So that's the natural birth talk, TNBT10. The link is in the description below. You can insert that code into the coupon code box to save. Hey, Tiffany, do you have any tips for someone who pee-pees their pants a little bit when they say jump or sneeze? I'm just asking for a friend. Actually, I have a fantastic suggestion that can be done in the comfort of your own home and was created by published researchers with a background in exercise physiology and physical therapy. It's called Tighten Your Tinkler. Oh my gosh, silly name, but it must have some serious results. Yeah, learn more by listening to the audio testimonial in the description or use code TNBT50 for $50 off the signature program. Hey listener, do you want a comprehensive yet concise and inexpensive online at your own pace natural birth education course to help you prepare for natural birth, pregnancy, and postpartum? Then check out the description below for that and our helpful products guide. Now back to the show. Yeah, it, 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 you know, it's, it's, I have, I have empathy for, for my colleagues who are mm-hmm. stuck in this box mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. medical model. And if they don't, and they don't have the energy, the curiosity, whatever, they're beaten down to the point where they're not even trying to look over the walls of the box mm-hmm. to see what's on the outside. And they live in that world. And it's a world of adrenal fatigue. It's the world of stress. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's, it's a world of, if you're constantly being anxious or fearful about what you're doing in your job every day, mm-hmm. that's not a great way to live. No. Um, you know, part of me says that they should fix it. They should, they should climb out of there themselves, but I understand the pressures mm-hmm. yeah. of doctors and nurses to just conform. Yeah. Um, that gets us back to the whole mass formation and stage one thinking and all that. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, well, it all, it all comes back to that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, with, with, with twins, um, especially when we're talking die, die twins now, mm-hmm. generally speaking, um, the, it, the pregnancy is going to go without any hitch. Mm-hmm. The problem mm-hmm. of course, is that, um, doctors are not trained in the skills necessary to possibly deliver those twins vaginally mm-hmm. anymore. And so even twins that are both head down are often being led down the path towards cesarean section. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about that for a second. About a little over 50% of twins will have at least one of the twins being breech. Mm-hmm. About 40-some percent of the twins will be head down, head down, and 50-some mm-hmm. and percent will be at least one twin breech. Could be breech vertex, vertex breech, or breech breech. And then there's a 2 or 3% that where the babies will be sideways or or some other weird thing where the cord is presenting or something like that. So taking those out of the picture, we know that more than half of twins are going to have at least a breech baby in it. Mm -hmm. Right. We know that most OBs will not do a breech delivery, even with a twin anymore. Mm -hmm. The the, the sad thing for me is that doctors who find out that you're having twins at 12 weeks who don't do breech, don't tell you Mm. that I'm not an expert in twins. You should go someplace else. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And that's what, if I would tell one thing to any of your listeners who are having twins, find out from very early on, is your doctor an expert in taking care of twins? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean anybody's like a twin expert. Right. I just mean that they right. have the skills mm-hmm. to assist a baby that's breech. Yeah. Because more than half the time, it's going to be that way. And if, and if they're not telling you that, and then you get to term and you have a vertex breech set of twins or a breech vertex set of twins, they're going to tell you, well, you know, that's not safe. Your baby, your babies could get stuck or something could happen or the heads could mm-hmm. get locked or I don't, you know, breech is dangerous. And they, they skew their counseling to force you to have a C-section. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. wrong. Yeah. That is incorrect. That's yeah. not good medicine. That's not what yeah. should be done. These people should be referred out early on. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, and then when you go in with, with twins, you usually go into labor. Um, they want to, you know, the American College of OBGYN is also very fear-based. Mm-hmm. Their, their consensus opinions are often just that. Their consensus opinion statements are just opinions. Mm-hmm. And what's, what kind of opinion do you expect from you know, five guys who are all maternal fetal medicine specialists who all trained in the same way, who I'm not saying there's five guys. I'm just, I made up that number, right. but <laughs> I don't know how many guys, but they're, but they all, they're all a group think. Right. And so they all think alike and they all think in, in that, in terms of recommendations and even much to their credit, ACOG admitted that two thirds of their recommendations are based on opinion alone yeah. and not based on any science whatsoever. So red flag. Lots of right. red flags, and you can't trust science at all right now. We're all learning that that it's all yeah. it's all influenced by money and big pharma, and you know it, you they publish things that they want published and things that are maybe contrary to the narrative will never get published. They'll never see the light of day. Um, it's very difficult right now. Um, mm-hmm. It's been difficult for a long time. It's just yeah. that we're waking up right now and we're, yeah. we're understanding right. that. So there's a growing movement of people that are pulling away from the medicalized birth model. And I can't Mm -hmm. say that this happened soon enough. Right. Um, Right. Yeah. You know, uh, the medical system is great. I just had eye surgery. Mm -hmm. You know, it probably saved my vision. So I'm not, I'm not condemning medical system completely, but I'm condemning it's overuse and certainly it's overused in twin, in twin birthing. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then, and then they'll want to induce you at, you know, with twins, they'll, the ACOG will recommend that with die, die twins by 37 to 38 weeks, you should be delivered. Which is crazy. Cause it's like, these are already babies who are probably smaller than a singleton. And then we want them to be born even sooner. Yeah. Just well, in case. Well, well, let's see their, their, their concern is the risk of stillbirth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that would, that should concern us all. But the question is, what's the actual risk of stillbirth? Right. And this is where it gets really clear right. to me. If mm-hmm. you just dig deep in it, if you take a woman with die-die twins or even mono-die twins who make it to term without any evidence mm-hmm. of that placental problem that I was talking about before called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome. But mm-hmm. if they get to term that, and they don't have preeclampsia, they don't have growth restriction and they don't have diabetes. Mm-hmm. All right. So in other words, a normal healthy mom who just has twins. Mm-hmm. The chance of a baby having a stillbirth at around 36 to 37 weeks is about seven per 10,000. That's pretty low. Mm -hmm. The chance at 38 and 39 weeks is about 14 per Mm 10,000. So it doubles. It It doubles. doubles. (laughs) And that's what scares people. It's the same with like after 42 weeks. It's like it doubles. Oh my gosh, it's so scary. But then you look at the absolute risk and you're like, oh, wait. The absolute absolute risk is the difference is between 99.3% 9, 3% chance of it not happening mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
and a 99.86% chance of it not happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it barely changes in reality mm-hmm. when you look in at reality, it barely risk. changes, but you could say the risk doubles. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's if you wait till scary. 40 weeks, if you wait till 40 weeks, it actually goes up sevenfold. Which but is sevenfold still really is low. still a 99.54% right. chance of it not happening. Yep. Yeah. So, so my, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. Jim. Sorry. Uh, my, my best friend who I've been best friends with since seventh grade, um, she had die, die twins. Um, and she really didn't want to get induced. So baby A was head down, baby B was breech. The hospital where she was at, they they agreed to attempt a vaginal birth because baby A was head down. Yeah, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. They told her she had, of course, a couple late-term ultrasounds. They told her that they were worried because the babies were so big, um, both measuring about about eight pounds. Um, they were worried. So they had been asking her, please, you know, let's set an induction date for 37 weeks. She said, no, 38 weeks. She said, no, finally at 39 weeks, she caved. So she set her induction date up for like 39 and two. It was a fairly quick induction. And so baby a was head down. They did this whole thing where they like rushed her to the OR as soon as Mm. she was 10 centimeters. And she, she ended up having a vaginal birth. Um, but baby B, they didn't even give baby B time to like be born. So baby A was born and she said that there was a resident there and that he like without her consent or anything, just stuck his hand up there and grabbed baby B's feet and, you know, pulled baby B out. She said there was like no emergency. And then all of that and um, babies were seven, two and six, two. So big. Right. It's crazy um, how they went from at, eight something pounds to suddenly being seven and six pounds. Yeah. See, yeah. See, crazy how that works. Doctors like that, they have what I call the Goldilocks theory. Okay. Okay. The porridge is too hot or the porridge is too cold. The porridge yep. is never just right. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. Yep. Right. The bed is too soft. The bed is too hard. The bed is never yeah. just right. So yeah. the babies are too big. The babies are too small. Mama's too old. Mama's yep. too young. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Your hips are too small. Your husband's too tall. Uh, too far really... into pregnancy. <laughs> and she had an amazing pregnancy. No diabetes, no high blood, not one single high blood pressure. Labs were always perfect. Like everything was perfect. Like this could have all been avoided. You know, she was kind of traumatized, obviously, by that experience. How could you not be? Um that's yeah. the way that's the way twins are managed in the hospital though. Yeah. Yeah. Is the first if they if they even allow you to do a vaginal delivery, the yeah. first twin will come out and they'll immediately go up and arom the second twin and then yeah. they'll have the mom push even if she's numb or if she isn't feeling pushing if the head's down if it's breached they'll do often do a breech extraction. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I admire the fact that they even did a breech extraction. They shouldn't do it without telling her and they should have tell mm-hmm. this should all been discussed during mm-hmm. the prenatal period of how we manage these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I will tell you the reason it's done that way is one, the long habit of not thinking something wrong gives it the superficial appearance of being right. Mm-hmm. And two is uh, expediency. You've got yeah. 10 people sitting around the, in the mm-hmm. operating room, Yep. you know, two teams of, of pediatric people. You've got an anesthesiologist, you've got a bunch of nurses in there. The hospital can't afford to have those people sitting around for an hour and a half between right. So yeah. it's all done for the convenience of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Another thing I talk about too, from the moment you drive to the hospital till the moment you put your baby in the car seat to drive home, 
pretty much everything that's done to you is ant- uh, antithetical to mammalian birth. And also yeah. none of it is for the benefit of the mother. Right. From the, from the moment you walk in, they're making you pee in a cup and changing into a hospital gown. Why? Because it's policy or it's routine. Yeah, right. Because they, they have to. That's how right. they do it. Well, that's they can charge for the urine and then and the, the yeah. hospital gown is a sign of disempowerment. Yep. Um, then they put you on the belts on you. They they have to put an IV in you. Why? Why do you need an IV? Right. Why do you need blood drawn? Why, mm-hmm. why do you need blood drawn? How do we have babies at home without drawing their blood? Oh my God. Yeah. Right. How does that happen? Yeah. All right. Well, they say, well, we have to have a clot in the in the uh, blood bank in case you have hemorrhaging. Why? You you handle people who come in from a, a car accident just fine. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, That's true. If you have to give O negative blood, you give O negative blood. But no, because there's 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 hospital charges for all these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you yeah. need to know my hemoglobin? My hemoglobin's been fine my entire pregnancy. We have to know what well, we have to know. Your, okay, I could understand if 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 the woman may want an epidural, the mm-hmm. anesthesiologist may want to know the platelet count because the platelet counts below seventy or fifty thousand. Right. Then maybe, but what's the odds of that happening? But right. but these are routine things that are done in every single woman. Mm-hmm. You know, they have they have protocols for how often they have to take their blood pressure. How often mm-hmm. at a home birth when you take a blood pressure when you first get to their house and it's 100 over 68, mm-hmm. does that woman suddenly become a hypertensive uh, crisis? Right. Uh, never. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if they're hypotensive, they're going to become symptomatic. They're going to, you're right. going to be able to tell it, then mm-hmm. you'll take their blood pressure. But right. to interrupt the labor every 30 minutes or every 60 minutes mm-hmm. or whatever it is to have that blood pressure cup blow up is, 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 is just, it's robotic. It's not, it, it, it makes no medical sense to yep. do it on everyone. Right. But the hospital, despite these highly trained nurses and these highly trained doctors, the hospital doesn't trust them to use their judgment. I don't know, you know, this, I know this is hyperbole, but I don't know why anyone would want to go to medical school right now. Because anybody who's, who likes to be shepherd rather than sheep is not, doesn't want to go through all that training, all those years, losing your entire 20 decade, your 20s decade, owing 150 to 200 thousand dollars when you get out to come mm-hmm. out and then be told by some computer algorithm or business major how you're supposed to practice your your trade yeah. why would you want to do that right and what so so what's happening is most people who are shepherds by nature are not going into medicine mm-hmm. anymore and you're ending up with sheep which is perfect for the people that are running the system yeah mm-hmm. that's they're driving so private true. practice. Yeah. They're driving private practice out of business, mm-hmm. purposely by passing legislation and laws mm-hmm. that make it that are lobbied for by big hospitals and big industry to make it more difficult for the private practitioner to survive mm-hmm. financially. Yeah, you know, it could be everybody's got to do electronic medical records, or everybody's got to take all these courses, or you have to do all these things. That if you have a big office where you have an HR department and other things, that can be taken care of. But if you're if you're a small practitioner. You, yeah, mm-hmm. you can't, you don't have the time or the finances to be competing with these things. So you end up selling your practice and going in and working for a big corp. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then so, you're told what to do and how to right. do it. And yeah. you, you don't have that and autonomy as a practitioner anymore. Because yeah. why? Because the medical system does not like chaos. Mm-hmm. I said that earlier. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they like to control things and you can't control individual cats. Right. Mm. You can control the herd of cattle, but not mm-hmm. cats. Yeah. Right. And so the yep. private practitioner was always like a cat. Like I, I got a cat sleeping over there and I can't <laughs> ever get her to do whatever I want. No, never. <laughs> they, they don't listen. <laughs> right. 
Right. But if you have a herd of sheep, you can you, you can have a dog. It can tell them exactly where to go and uh-huh. they'll just do exactly what they're told. Right. For the record, that's why I'm a cat person and not a dog person. <laughs> because dogs just give away their love to everybody and that's crap love. Cats, you have to earn their love because <laughs> they're okay. not going to listen to you if they don't love you. That's, that's, that's my right. little cat versus dog tangent. <laughs> right. Okay. So back to, so back to twins. How should twins be yeah. managed? If they're uncomplicated, Mm-hmm. They don't have preterm labor, premature rupture of membranes, preeclampsia, you know, growth restriction, that sort of thing. True growth restriction. Mm-hmm. I mean, twins grow That's at a smaller. That's tricky too, right? Yeah. Right. Well, often they'll often doctors will use the nomogram for singletons mm-hmm. on their ultrasound reports, and they'll show that the baby's less than the fifth percentile, but the baby's been always been in less than the less pretend less than the tenth percentile, and. So that baby's growing, it's just small, mm-hmm. and they'll call it growth restricted, even yep. though it's growing yeah. normally. I've had and, that happen with a singleton before with a client. I mean, yeah. instead of looking at their growth curve, they're just looking at a percentage. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the fact is that when you, you again, it's a it's a failure to think logically. Mm-hmm. A growth curve means that some people have to be at the 97th percentile and some uh-huh. people have to be at the third percentile. Right. And that's normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, but now we label everyone under the 10th percentile as being abnormal when 10% of people are going to be under the 10th percentile. That's just how they are. (laughs) Right. Okay, but but everything has to fall on an algorithm in the medical model and every woman has to have her blood drawn and every woman has to be monitored and every woman, you know, has to have ice chips. If you're lucky, you get a popsicle. Um, The idea that you're going to starve somebody for 20 hours Doing and the then wonder why their possible. blood pressure dropped or wonder why they hemorrhaged or wonder why X, Y, Z happened. Their blood sugar bottoms out or the baby, yeah. the baby doesn't tolerate labor that well. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's barbaric. So what should twins, what, how should twins be managed? Well, again, with die, die twins or mono die twins that make it to term without any evidence of, the, of that problem we talked about. Um, I, I, in my, we've got Rixa Fries and I, who Rixa, mm. who um, runs Breach, Breach Without, Without Borders, Borders. Yeah. and yeah. also was my co-author on a breach paper we did in 2018. Um, uh, we have a paper coming out hopefully next month, maybe by August, that will be on twins. Awesome. And we, our average twin mom went to 39 weeks and zero days. Mm. So, and we had some that went at 35 and a half weeks. So if we have some that go at 35 and a half, 36, 37 weeks, we also had some that went to 40, 41, and 42 weeks. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Um, our outcomes were great. That's awesome. And yes, there's a, you know, even me, who's still got that ingrained sense of obstetrician buried in me someplace, mm-hmm. you know, I would get a little uncomfortable. I would never say anything because if the testing of the babies was fine, or if the mother was reporting mm-hmm. that they're fine, or the mother didn't want testing, or the mother, uh, decided that she just wanted to wait. That was her her informed decision. We honored that. Good but the outcomes were really quite good just waiting until labor ensued, which has got to be better for mom and baby mm-hmm. overall. Right. Babies mm-hmm. picking their due date, babies being exposed to the to mom's hormones during labor and the microbiome mm-hmm. and all that have to be better than getting artificial Pitocin or just a yeah. scheduled C-section which alters the epigenetics, alters the microbiome. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, at, we, we have problems with our children growing up right now in the United States. We have a chronic mm-hmm. immune problem in, in over 50% of our children, apparently. Mm-hmm. Used to be single digits 20 years ago. Now, that's a combination maybe of, of vaccines. It could be mm-hmm. a combination of 
of toxins in our diet and GMO and, Mm -hmm. and other things that are going on certainly and how, but how we give birth and how we're colonized the beginning and what hormones we're exposed to with our mom and our skin to skin and our bonding. Mm -hmm. Yep. It matters. Sets us us all up for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, we may see babies born by cesarean section or with traumatic births or, um, uh, an altered microbiome because mom got tons of antibiotics in labor and that baby may be okay, but it may have some autonomic nervous system dysfunction or something that sets it up to be more vulnerable mm-hmm. to these other toxins down the road. Because yeah. why, why is it that some babies, you know, are fine, they get the whole vaccine schedule and do fine, and other babies, you know, get one vaccine or two vaccines and they and they develop, they change their behavior. They develop, mm-hmm. whether you believe it or not, they, you can't deny that there are parental story after parental story about mm-hmm. my baby was fine yeah. until two years old series of shots. And then now she, the baby doesn't make eye contact or speak anymore. Uh-huh. Yeah. But why yeah. does that baby, what, what, you know, would it be really interesting to look back and see that baby's birth history yeah. and that mom's antibiotic history and other things too. I don't know that you can ever do that because there's so many factors involved. Right. I, I was talking to somebody earlier about today about the fact that we'd really interesting to compare Babies born at home versus babies born in the hospital, mm-hmm. and see the problem is that babies born at home, their parents are less likely to give them toxins. Right? Um, yeah, they're going to yeah. feed them better. They're going to breastfeed for longer periods of time. Yeah. They're going mm-hmm. to uh, probably not vaccinate their kids. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, you, you you it's you can't you really can't do pin that it study. down to just right. the home birth because there's all factors. of these other factors. Just the way too. we yeah. give birth, but yeah. but allowing, but again, there's something about nature's design that that. Mm-hmm in the midwifery model, and they taught me to value mm-hmm. that the medical yep. model, you know, there, there's a famous, um, there's a famous quote by two guys were supposedly giving a debate about the, the benefits or, or downsides of inducing women at 39 weeks. This was two years before the arrive trial came out. This was an mm-hmm. ACOG meeting and I watched it online. And what's really interesting is that turns out that both guys actually were supportive of 39 weeks. It was a, in my opinion, it was a fake debate. Yeah. Debates usually are one inside. But one of the two guys, I think his name was Dr. Norwood, said something like, nature is a very bad obstetrician. And see, that's what's ingrained into you guys is that nature does it bad. But then when you look at how, you know, the countries that heavily use midwifery care, those are the countries with the better mom and baby outcomes. I would, I would, I would commend nature. Yeah. For being a bad obstetrician. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, obstetricians are are bad uh, arbiters of of nature's design. That's uh, true. Yeah, so nature should be bad at. So at he did. I don't think he understood what he was saying was really yeah. true, but for the wrong right. reason. Right. Yeah, right. that's right. true. Right. Um, but I remember that. I'll, I'll remember that. Yeah. I wrote. I, I actually wrote about it once, and I and I wrote it in one of my blogs somewhere in my blog uh-huh. page on my website. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so you, you you and then and then. People say, well, okay, so we're waiting for spontaneous labor. Then what happens? Okay, well, then you labor. Mm-hmm. If you're in the hospital, you try to you advocate for what you want, mm-hmm. which is a, be and left you get it. alone as much as possible. <laughs> uh, try to avoid, they're going to want you to have an epidural in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Even if they don't mm-hmm. activate it, they're going to tell you, well, just in case, mm-hmm. well, just in case mm-hmm. is bullshit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? They yep. can manage you without an epidural. They just want to be able to potentially reach up inside you without permission and grab your baby and pull it out. And, yep. and I will tell you that we do that at home without an epidural. Mm-hmm. 
We don't do it without permission though, but we do. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. Women are, women are amazing and they're able to, yeah. you know, if it's for the benefit of their baby and they trust their practitioner, they're going to um, be able to allow you to do that. Mm-hmm. So the epidural is again, it's the long habit of doing something one way that not, and not thinking it wrong, mm-hmm. but there's no reason to have an epidural prophylactically put in place. Yeah. Not if you want an epidural for labor because you want that, that's fine. Right. Right. All right. But you don't have it. But to have a needle in- stuck in your spine and risk all the potential side effects of that, just in case. Well, yeah. And again, I'll give, I, I will give the anesthesiologist credit. They're really good at it. And they so the are. side That's effects so are really sure. small. And then, you know, that I, I give them credit on that. But the question is, it's not the anesthesiologist that wants it in there. It's the OB right. that wants it in there. Right. And there's no reason to do that. There's no reason to starve yourself. So if you have a hospital that says you can have ice chips or a popsicle, then you have your husband sneak in. Um, right. Yeah. 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 Or hire a doula like Tiffany or I, who will just feed you anyway. Right. Correct. And then if they tell you, you have to be monitored all the time, then you just tell them that, you know what? I think I have to go to the bathroom and you Mm -hmm. just stay in there and And then you just stay in the bathroom, labor in the bathroom. I know that it's terrible to sit there and labor in the bathroom, but you know, that's what you have to do. Yeah. So you find ways around the rules because the Mm -hmm. rules are generally stupid. Remember what we talked about before. We respect authority. We just don't respect stupid authority. Right. Most of the thing the hospitals do are done for the benefit of the hospital and not for mm-hmm. the benefit of the mother. Yeah. Right. And especially in the case of twins. So then yeah. you're in labor and they're going to want to take you back to the OR mm-hmm. because that's a policy that makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's, well, just in case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're disrupting the labor process. You know, mm-hmm. Sarah Buckley mm-hmm. likes to say labor should be safe, quiet, and unobserved. Mm-hmm. Yep. And every time you walk into a room and ask the woman a question or even just disturb, make, make, make sounds. You're actually, it's an, that's an intervention. Mm-hmm, right. Bliss, Bliss likes to say that. Yeah. So it is an intervention, but when you mm-hmm. specifically get a woman and move her from one bed to another down the hall and put her mm-hmm. in another room, that that's really disruptive to the process. Why are they doing that? Well, just in case you need to crash C-section. Well, what happens to the singleton who needs a crash C-section? They run them down the hall. Right. Yeah. So why can't you do that with a twin? Right. Exactly. Yep. So then, so then the first baby will come out mm-hmm. and it's perfectly fine to have delayed cord clamping for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't even but, have to cut the cord. No, you don't have to. Although if sometimes if, if, if you're getting serious with the second twin and the first twin's cord is short, yeah, and stuff, you might have to move that baby out of the way. Yeah. Um, so you cut the cord and you hand the baby to dad and the dad can do skin to skin and, yeah. and, and then mom gets serious with baby B. Now the, the average, um, interval for, I think for our, between one twin and the second twin in our study, if I remember correctly, was about 38 minutes, but I, that might be wrong. Okay. Um, we had a, but a, a significant an, amount of time, anywhere from two minutes to four hours and 16 minutes Yeah. was the difference mm-hmm. in time. I just found that after about 30 to 45 minutes, we started to see an increased rate of, of postpartum hemorrhage. Okay. Our numbers don't reach statistical significance. And also the literature does report that the longer the twin to twin interval goes, the more likely baby B is to have a lower pH. And a lower pH oh. means potentially lower APGAR scores, more need for respiratory assistance, that sort of Interesting. thing. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> in the hospital, you probably rarely have five minutes between twin A and twin mm-hmm. B with yeah. a vaginal birth. In the home setting, um, like I said, our average was, I think, in the high 30s to 40 minutes. But I really like to... to think that I would, if I was recommending uh, somebody starting new in practice, who's going to do, be doing twins, I'd say 
After 30 to 45 minutes, if nothing's happening, then have that discussion obviously long before during your prenatal care that at that point may be rupturing membranes and trying to, you know, get obviously before you do that, getting baby A to latch, mm-hmm, yeah, um, yeah. To help bring get down the, the oxytocin yeah, and uh, doing that. But if that's not working to get moving things along simply because there may be more risk afterwards. Now, mm-hmm. can I say how high the risk is? No, I can just say that I've observed a higher rate of postpartum hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. Um, none of them requiring transfusion, however, but obviously mm-hmm. a woman that's anemic is going to have slower recovery. They're going to be, right. you know, that maybe milk production will be a little bit less. So we want to try to avoid those sorts of blood loss things. Yeah. Um, so, but some women will refuse and yeah. that's fine, mm-hmm. but that's the kind of informed consent that we give them. Yeah. And then the second, then the second twin comes out. Now, occasionally the occasionally, very rarely once in my 40 years, have I seen twin A's placenta come out before baby B. Okay. Almost always people ask the question, well, what about the placentas? Well, they almost always come out after both twins are out because the way the placentas are usually um, uh, detached is where the uterus contracts mm-hmm. and it causes the shearing of the placenta off of the, the uterine wall. Right. right. And after the first twin comes out, the uterus doesn't really contract that much because you still have a five or six or seven or eight pound baby inside. And so it's mm-hmm. not going to contract that much. So most of the time the placentas will come out after. Mm-hmm. Um the medical model will want to actively manage your third stage, which is means of they'll course. want to give Pitocin immediately after the second baby's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we discuss that. We generally don't do that. Um, we, we we're very good at managing, uh, paying attention to the fundus to keep it firm. Mm-hmm. And we have those um, medicines to strengthen the contractions of the uterus available. You know, home birth people carry Pitocin, usually mm-hmm. Misoprostol, often yeah. TXA. Oh, that's misoprostol. Well, misoprostol, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then um, some people carry methadone. Methadone yeah. requires refrigeration, however, and and it's really hard to deal that. And then the methadone pills got incredibly expensive, so that most people don't carry methadone anymore. But we're prepared for that mm-hmm. sort of thing. We bring IV fluids and stuff along with us. We don't start an IV routinely. Um, some women, on rare occasions, will have a history of postpartum hemorrhages in the past, and they may want one yeah so we discuss yeah. these things but everything in the in our model is the informed consent model and the ultimately mm-hmm. the de- the final decision belongs to the woman yeah not the institution or the physician right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who is pr- projecting on them the skewed information to funnel them down the path to take something that right. they may or not, may not want Right. right. And so like sometimes there's some care providers who are really great with singletons or or do well, do okay with singletons and are all about the informed consent. But the second, you know, there's something skewed that's not textbook, in this case twins, it's like that informed consent goes out the window just because yeah. you have twins. Yeah. And it's crazy. Um, and then the other thing, you know, is is what I'm hearing from all of this, and obviously with anything, is you need to be educated. Like, it's not just, you know, going to an OB that you trust. Like, how do you know if you should trust that OB or not? Like, those are questions you have to ask or or even midwife, you know, how do you know? But you got to, you have to be educated on a lot of these things. Because like Dr. Sue's saying is, you know, they just kind of tell you like it is, or they may give you skewed information. And if you don't know the difference, then you're just like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, sadly, sadly, um, this is not a blanket statement, but it's mostly true is that you can't trust your obstetrician anymore. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very Very early. We have like what, like two or three in our area that are really great. And the rest are just like, right. You know, and we live in the metropolitan area. Yeah. I mean, there are tons to choose from. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, you can't, you can't. Um, They only know what either they know or they, you know, I, I, I can't believe that the worst thing is that they know they're doing something wrong and they're doing it anyway. So I have to believe that they right. they just think they're doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. Right. But so, they don't look at that. They don't look at their outcomes. They don't look at patient mm-hmm. satisfaction. They don't look at that mm-hmm. and say, listen, how do we end up with one in three women having a cesarean section mm-hmm. and think no. we're doing and we're doing the right thing? They don't question it. No. Mm-hmm. Um. So I did have one question about twins that maybe you can give some insight on. This comes from the only other episode we've done on twins, which is from a mom who was labeled as gestational diabetes within twins. But she was talking about how since then she has done some research to show like so with having twins, she was still given the same numbers to like look at as whether yeah. you're labeled gestationally diabetic or not, as you would for a singleton. But she's done some research and not a ton, but finding that those numbers should probably be a little bit higher if you're growing two babies versus one. What you know, do I you don't, have I any don't, insight? I don't know that, but I will tell you bl- bluntly, uh, blanketly, I don't like hard numbers anyway. Me neither. They're kind um, of arbitrary. You're telling, you're telling me that someone who drinks, first of all, drinking this stupid uh, 200 calorie, 50 <laughs> mm. gram yeah. drink is not how people eat. And that's right. not, you know, so some right. people Realistic. are going to respond badly yeah. to that. But to tell me that somebody has a value of 139 and they're fine, but if they're 140, they're not fine. Exactly. Right. Okay. So yep. uh, I don't like the numbers as it is. I think that gestational diabetes, once again, the, the the parameters are set to catch everyone with gestational diabetes in the process. They get a lot of false positives mm-hmm. that create a lot of more anxiety for women because now they're labeled mm-hmm. with something that really isn't an issue for them. And I mean, then they want to women, like spiral interventions from there. You can too. see women right. fail the fail the one hour glucose test. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they do home finger sticks and their mm-hmm. finger sticks are perfect for weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're still on the chart labeled as gestational diabetic. Yep. And therefore then they get all the extra monitoring and the extra anxiety and the pro- potential inductions because they're right. And, and there's really nothing wrong with them. Right. And my colleagues just, they, they just, they're spinning that hamster wheel mm-hmm. and they can't get off. They can't think independently. They can't individualize their care. Mm-hmm. They can't understand that this woman has given birth to three nine and a half pound babies before. Yeah. This baby's nine, nine pounds. It's not macrosomic. Right. It's right. normal for her. Yeah. Normal for her. Yep. Yep. I have and somebody so- right now I spoke to yesterday who has twins at 34 or 35 weeks. They're about almost four pounds each, which is okay. less than the third percentile mm-hmm. oh, on the okay. Hadlocks on the Hadlock scale for singletons. Okay. But they're both growing okay. They're very concordant. And these are her first babies, but she was a five and a half pound baby. Her two brothers were five and a half Small. pound babies at mm-hmm. term. Her husband mm-hmm. was a five and a half pound baby at term. Mm-hmm. So they grow five and a half Small pound babies. babies. These right. twins, if they let them sit in there for another four weeks, will be five and a half pounds mm-hmm. yeah. or more. But they're calling, but they're, they're, they're telling her she needs to be induced now. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. then guarantees the babies will end up in the NICU for three weeks. Right, right. And yeah. they're going to be even smaller than they would have been. Their struggles are going to be harder. It, it is. It's just such a cycle. Um, There's just no critical way of thinking. Skills. Yeah. And it's just well, they're like doing they're all this testing. Guys are doing all this testing on the babies, the Doppler color and the biophysical profiles. Those are all perfect. 
they're mm-hmm. still telling the same thing. So my question to her was, if they're doing all this testing and they're not trusting the testing, why are they doing the testing? Right. right. Well, and they say, well, it's, you know, the testing doesn't, doesn't pick up everything. Well, nothing picks well, up. Which everything. is it? Which right, is it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. I'd yeah, love, I mean, I'm so interested in learning more about gestational diabetes with twins. So like I, if anybody's out there and you know some information about that, please send me an email. Because well, I think, yeah, I think you have more placental mass. So you're more likely yeah. to fail the test because you're right. If, if, if diabetes is related to human placental lactogen secretion and, and placental mass, then yeah, you're more likely to fail your one hour glucose test. Yeah. Well, um, and you need sugars for two babies, not just one baby. Yeah. But you your know? body should, I think your body should regulate the sugar. Right. But it really yeah. should be screening people based on how they eat. Yes. And what we right. do in the midwifery model almost always is we do, if we're going to do screening at all and we give mm-hmm. them informed consent, some people refuse. Right. But if they do do it, we ask them to do an, a one hour after eating a normal breakfast or a normal lunch, mm-hmm. because I more, I care more what Rachel eats mm-hmm. and how she responds to her normal meal than I care how she responds to a bottle of 50 grams of sugar. Right. Which I would never consume in one <laughs> sitting ever. Right. 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 So that's really, that's really in a nutshell, um, twins. And that's how we look at them. And, mm-hmm. and again, when you see normal all the time, you're very quick to recognize abnormal. Yeah. And uh-huh. when, you know, and surveillance of twins, you know, with monodi twins, they do need regular ultrasounds early on from about 16 weeks till like 28 weeks, every two weeks makes perfect sense because mm-hmm. this TTTS thing can appear yeah. at any time. Mm-hmm. It can even appear after 28 weeks, but I've had it on pretty good authority that if you don't see any evidence by 28 weeks, the likelihood it goes is much smaller in the third mm-hmm. trimester. So you could space yeah. it out. But with die-die twins, scanning them every three to four weeks is probably not necessary Yeah, for most twins, especially if the first couple scans, the 16-week scan, the 20-week scan are yeah. normal. You mm-hmm. could space that out. Uh, again, if you like seeing your babies, that's perfectly fine. But you mm-hmm. have to understand that by doing scans that are not necessary, they're often going to find things mm-hmm. that aren't really meaningful, but they're going to make you worry. Yep. Yep. Because, Absolutely. Because, All the time. Because the doctor will worry and they'll project your their anxiety onto you. Onto you. Yep. And, and that's mm-hmm. how that's how the system propagates itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's that's really essentially it with twins. Um they're they're amazing. They women can do great with them. Yeah. If a problem develops, then it needs to be dealt with, and the hospital can be very valuable. Uh, if you pre have premature rupture of membranes or mm-hmm. you have TTTS, I mean they have amazing surgery they can do. Um, they were saving lives. I, in our paper, we had four moms that developed TTTS in the second trimester. All four of them had the surgery, and all four of them had their babies make it to viability, which was That's something amazing. that. 30 wow, years ago yeah. would not have happened. Yeah. Um, so there's so benefit. There's benefit in in the right medicine, in the right medical care. And you yeah. really have to just know how to distinguish what's actually necessary and what's just a bunch of people being nervous or wanting to be in control. And it starts with finding a, a, a good practitioner and a good Absolutely. team. Yeah. And it's very hard to do that. It's really hard these days to know it is uh, what you're getting in the obstetric model. But mm-hmm. for the most part, ask your doctors, as I said early on, if your doctor's not comfortable with any, any baby being breached, then that doctor should not be taking care That's of fine. you with twins. Yeah. Period. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I always say too, if you want to know, you know, get some insight on the doctors or the care providers in your area, reach out to your local doulas. 
Because mm-hmm. a lot of times the doulas have a lot of information that they can give you. And even from doula to doula, there's going to be different opinions on things. But, yeah, sure. you know, doulamatch.net is a really great place to go to find a local doula that you can ha- ask and be like, hey, this is my situation. Who do you recommend? Um, you, you know, know that can when, be a good you, first step. Another option for that, and when I tell people when they move to a new town, is sometimes you can call the labor and delivery and ask to speak to one of the nurses mm-hmm. and uh-huh. ask the nurses, if you were pregnant, who would you go to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Secondly, you know, they know who the doctors are that are good. Most nurses will tell you, you know, you don't want to go to him. He always gets fourth degree tears mm, or yeah. you don't, you don't want to go to him because his section rate is 45%, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So yeah. th- that's another thing that you can do, but yeah, but yeah, you need, it needs to start, start with that. It's too bad that it's, it's such a challenge Yeah, to, f- to yeah. find somebody who's really qualified to Terrible. take care of you with, with your twins. Mm-hmm. Well, but, and so often it ends up being the home birth provider, you know, which a lot of people aren't comfortable with or can't even afford, which is unfortunate. Or it's, or it's illegal in your state. Or it's illegal yeah, in your state, which I mean, yeah. sometimes there's still someone you can find. But, but it might be something worth traveling for if you, you know, yeah. because like anything mm-hmm. else, mm-hmm. you have to put value on it and how you yep. give birth. And and if you want to if, say your first pregnancy is with twins and you want a third or fourth baby, Mm-hmm. Um, you want to avoid that C-section if you of can. Course. And so you need to find yeah. somebody to do that. Yeah. Cause and, the long-term risks, can. we're looking at long-term risks too, not just the here and now. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Any risk that they may averse by doing a C-section on you for this baby would just, just passes the risk downstream to subsequent babies. Yep. So, uh, but I'm just, I want to reassure people that if you have a confident twin practitioner, twins are just, you know, it's a harder pregnancy. You're bigger and you're mm-hmm. more uncomfortable. And then you've got, yeah baby sucking on both boobs at the same time. And, yeah. and you got a lot more, it's a lot of work. So prepare yourself and your social situation and your support team. Mm-hmm. You know, long, once you find out twins, you got to plan for not only the antepartum period, but the postpartum period as well. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that is a really good point. We don't have time to talk about that, but that is right. a good point too. You really got to No, And that's where the midwifery model and the, and having postpartum doulas and people mm-hmm. like that makes a lot of sense. The midwifery model does take care of you postpartum. The medical model even with twins, we'll generally weeks. see you in six <laughs> yep. weeks, right? Yep. yep. Before we finish up, I just really quickly want to tell my one little twin story that I had early on in my doula career. It was a mom. It was her fourth and fifth babies, I believe. And she was she found out she was pregnant with twins. It was a surprise pregnancy and it was twins. And she had had unassisted births previously because she had done this and she, she was familiar with everything. She had fast labors. So she ended up having a, um, a midwife for this particular pregnancy And she was having a home birth again and she was in the pool and I was there and she started pushing and I saw it and I was like, Oh, that's a foot. And she had breach, breach babies, breach, breach twins at home in her birthing pool without the midwife sat in the corner and I just stood around the pool and observed. And that was it. And she caught her own babies and she did everything all by herself. And then she was 38 something weeks. So cool. I, I, you know, it, it, Again, if you have a confident practitioner who's confident in breach, and you have to be if you if you're going to take care of twins, mm-hmm. yeah. then breach is just a birth that a baby comes out butt first. It's yeah, it really is. If you know the maneuvers, this is what I teach as I go yes. around the country and teach this right. course. Right, you're reteaching, and um, the kind of feedback I get is great from people, yeah. and mm-hmm. I love hearing from people who had a breach birth afterwards and said, "Yeah, yeah. it just was just like the just like the videos you showed us. I didn't have to do anything or." Oh, the baby stayed in sacrum transverse position. I knew right away that one of the arms was behind the head and I knew exactly yeah, yeah. what to do. And I did my maneuvers. Yeah. The baby came out just fine. Again, yeah. it would be so easy to teach resident. I could teach 
OB residents. Give me a day with an OB yeah, resident. That's all right? it is. Right. Yeah. It's one day. I just, the breach without borders was just here um, in St. Louis, like yesterday and the day before. And so that was my second breach without borders training. And it is, it's like, it's one day. Yep. Right. Doesn't why make does you an not, expert. Why isn't it, everybody taught this? I don't know. I don't know. It, it's fear and economics, but yep. you know, <laughs> the idea that, that you may not be a breach expert after taking the breach without borders in my class, right? but you'll know what to do. And everyone who practices obstetrics or I hate that word. Everyone who deals with pregnant women, if they deal with them long enough, is going to have a surprise breach. Of course. And they're not going to, and I, I I hear these stories where a woman shows up completely dilated uh, with a, with a feet in the uh, hanging out of the labia and they, they take her back and do an emergency C-section on her. Mm -hmm. Okay. When when you could could have that baby out in, in literally 15 seconds, you could have that baby out vaginally. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's crazy. Yep. And okay. Yeah. I know you're probably on the end of your time. Yep. So we really appreciate you being here. Is there any like last minute little nugget or words of wisdom that you want to share or thoughts? Um, no, I think, I think the whole thing has been words of wisdom Yes, <laughs> and some, and some hyperbole and a little bit of snarkiness and, <laughs> and some, and some mocking that goes on, but you know, okay. I, I I, that's who that's again, that's well, how my personality has developed over the years. And there's nothing I can really do about that. I'm not going to change now. I just think that you should trust your body and you should Absolutely. trust that, that and, and find a practitioner who, who is also trusting of your body. Right. Because again, midwives and, and people like me, we're, we're, we're so good at what, at normal birthing that we recognize when things aren't normal Mm-hmm. And we can either intervene when necessary or transport when necessary or transfer care when necessary. Yeah. But to the idea that every twin pregnancy is high risk is, is, is a mistake. It's not mm-hmm. true. Yep. Yep. It's labeled high risk because that's the, that's the nomenclature we use, mm-hmm. but it's not high risk. Right. If you know what you're doing and you properly select your clients and you, uh, have the skills to deal with it, Absolutely. then it, then it's just, it's not high risk. Um, right. It's higher risk, but right. higher risk doesn't mean anything if you don't know what the denominator is. If you don't know, right. like we talked about earlier, 99 point, you know, nine, three percent versus 99.86 percent right. um, mm-hmm. chance of it not happening. What's the, what's the difference? Right. 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 So true. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for being here. Dr. Thank you so this much. It's like been so fun for Tiffany and I. Yeah. You're, um, you're welcome guys. It's been my pleasure. Um, I have to go. Yes. Uh, just let me send me the information. People can find me at birthinginstincts.com. Perfect. And the birthing instincts podcast and birthing instincts on Instagram. It's not very complicated. It's all birthing right. instincts. Right. I'll put it all in the description <laughs> below. Okay. All right. Thanks for Thank listening you. guys. Bye. Hi, Rachel Manns again. If you want to learn more, please subscribe to and rate this podcast and head over to thenaturalbirthsite.com to check out our online natural birth education course, birth story blog, YouTube channel, and more.